<clears throat> Let's take your Bible, go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to talk to you about grace, which is the theme of Romans chapter 5. As we've been going through the book of Romans, most everybody knows the hymn Amazing Grace. It's one of the most well-known hymns in the world. Think about it. Think about those words. Say just the first line with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, some of the best doctrine ever is found in that, that hymn. Grace that is amazing. But did you notice the words of that song we just sang? Marvelous grace. Listen to these words again. Marvelous grace. Let me bring this up. Of our loving Lord, watch this, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. It goes on, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. That's straight out of Romans chapter 5 that we're studying. Listen to the chorus. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Now we're going to pick up where we left off last week, where it's just interesting that last week we talked about the kind of people that Jesus died for and that he justifies and make righteous. Uh, and I want to focus our attention on why he did it. And it's because of grace. So um, go to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to just pick up where we left off and go back a little bit and pick up speed as we look at Romans chapter 5. One of the greatest words in the Bible is grace. Romans chapter 5. Now, we learned last week, as I said, the kind of people that died, Jesus died for. He did not die for the good or the respectable, or the religious, or the nice, you know. That's not the kind of people that Jesus died for. He died for the ungodly, sinners, enemies. He died for his own enemies. And that is just breathtaking. Look at chapter 5 and verse 6. We'll pick up there. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, ungodly is one of those strong words. It means very wicked. It goes on, verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yeah, somebody may give their life trying to save someone else that they think is worthy. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But what kind of people did Jesus die for? It says, But God commendeth his love, displayed, poured out his love on us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, verse 9, we shall be saved from his wrath through him, through Jesus. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So what is God's motive? What is it that, that God motivated, that motivated God to do anything for this world? Uh, is it because we're so worthy? Honestly, I mean, I, I, there are people that I call friends. There are people I call enemies, whatever. But who would I give my life for? Who do I think is worthy 
Think about that. Very few number of people, all right? Now, I, I don't know. You've got an enemy. They're not worthy of a judge pardoning them when somebody has set your house on fire. You don't want to pardon them. You want them to pay. Uh, and yet God says it's because of grace that he treats us kindly. You see, grace means kindness towards unworthy people. Kindness towards unworthy people. Uh, undeserved kindness. Unmerited kindness. Is being kind to someone who doesn't deserve your kindness. That's grace. Now, you've been known. I guarantee you, if I asked your family, I'm sure you have had grace sometimes. You're in the line. You're getting ready. Uh, you're down at Little's, and there's only one queue open. And you're pushing your pram, your pram, your, tro your trolley up there, and you're trying to get up there, and somebody gets in front of you. Oh. And you just smile and go ahead. <laughs> so you have extended grace, haven't you? That's being nice when you wanted to just push them out of the way, okay? You've been known to have had grace when someone was yelling at you and complaining at you, and you smile and are kind and patient in return. I don't know how people do call center work. When people call up to complain, and you have to just listen to it. <laughs> yes, yes, let me, let, me get, let me get my supervisor. No problem at all. You're showing grace. And I'm sure you've experienced grace before. Like when the Garda pull you over, and then they let you go on a warning. Oh, that's grace, amen? You felt that. You're, you're flying along on the road, and then there's that stupid van. <laughs> Or a garter card. He's got that hair dryer pointing right at you. And the lights go on and you pull over and oh, he or she walks over and you just, you just don't want to be in that moment. And they go, mm, I'll let you go on a warning. <gasps> you can breathe again. That's grace. Do you understand? You've experienced that. But what about when somebody lies about you? What about when somebody steals from you and you can prove it? What about if somebody deeply hurts you, lets you down? Real grace shows kindness even though they are unworthy of such kindness. Are you with me now? Grace is not just being kind. It's being kind to the people who don't deserve it. So what we find as we read our Bible is we find out that Jesus has showed constant uh, kindness to unworthy people. And I want us to discover this. Go to Matthew chapter 9. We will come back to Romans chapter 5. But Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10. Matthew 9 and verse 10. And it came to pass. As Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down right alongside him. I mean, they're probably bustling up against him. They're probably right in his face. Says, they sat down with him and his disciples. Oh, and when the Pharisees saw it, these were the ultra-religious. They said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans, those are tax collectors, and with sinners? But Jesus heard it. And Jesus, when he heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole, we'd say healthy, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Just stop there for a second. 
They're healthy, do not need the kindness of a doctor, do they? I mean, there are times when you go to the doctor and it's 4.59 and he's trying to get out the door to go home, amen? And he says, everything all right? You say, yeah, I just need, and he just sets, he opens the door, brings you in, sits down. And it's somebody who's sick that needs the kindness of that doctor, amen? It's not healthy people who should be bothering a doctor. It's sick, sick people. And the same goes with ungodly, sinful enemies of God. They need a savior. It goes on and it says that the, uh, the next verse there, verse six, but that, uh, where am I? Oh, no, um, 13, 8, 13, my, 9, 13. I'm looking for where I left off. Thank you. But go ye and learn what that mean, meaneth. I, God, will have mercy. I want mercy shown and not sacrifice. I'm not looking for all of your religious ceremonies and sacrifices, for I'm not come to call the righteous, because there are none, but sinners to repentance. You see, it's God's great grace that caused him to step down from a perfect heaven, to step out of his comfort zone and into our world and allow religious people and politicians and whether they're commoners or they're wealthy, all of them cried out, crucify him. Why would God do that grace? Amazing grace, marvelous grace. Ephesians, now you understand Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace are you saved. Not worth. I've heard preachers say, oh, you're so special to God. Yeah, you are, but not. Do you realize how much bother we are to God? Thankfully, he doesn't wear out. Think about how much we stink to God, not physically, but I mean our sins. The Bible says they stink to high heaven. Our sins are almost innumerable. What do you think we bring to God except trouble? And yet he came because of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Not our works, but lest any man should boast. Thank God for amazing, marvelous grace toward us. So let's discover where sin began and how much grace God has because I think a lot of people think he ran out of grace a long time ago. Back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Romans 5 and verse 12. Rom Romans 5 verse 12. Wherefore? As by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. Talk about COVID. I mean, one Wuhan lab, Wuhan lab experiment passed upon the whole world, didn't it? Well, I got news for you, folks. One man's sin brought trouble into the whole world. Watch what it says. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin folks one man did it wonder who that man was anybody who want to take a guess one by one man sin into the world his name was adam now i, I know you uh, uh read genesis all the time you should because it's the foundation of everything we're going through but go to genesis chapter 3 see if you know all this stuff i'm about to show you this morning real briefly genesis chapter 3 one man brought sin into this world, welcomed it in. And guess what followed sin? What was right, right behind sin? Death. When one man, 
One woman living in a perfect garden. That's where sin came into this world. And by the way, that's why we believe the whole Bible. Because you can't read just the New Testament without reading the Old Testament. They're all built upon one another. They're interconnected. The New Testament is built upon the truth of the Old Testament. I believe the Bible from the very first verse. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It didn't happen by a big bang. Oh, there will be a big bang. But it happened by the word of God. And when we come to Genesis chapter 3, Satan is disguising himself as a walking, talking, stunning-looking snake. And he walks up to Eve. Look at your Bible. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Satan impresses Eve. He doesn't show up as he really looks. He comes as an animal in the garden, beautiful animal, as a matter of fact. It says, verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, and he starts talking, he says, yay. Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Didn't God say for you to eat of every tree? And here's the point. She keeps, he watches her, and she keeps going around this one tree they're not allowed to eat from. And he says, what's, going, what's wrong with that tree? In verse 2, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Ah, uh, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. So he's already uh, impressed Eve by showing up talking to her, and she starts talking back. Wouldn't it be great to have a parrot you could talk to? It's one thing to teach a parrot to mimic you. Polly, want a cracker? No, I want steak. <laughs> I mean, it would be awesome to have a parrot. You talk to it. It talks back with its own, you know, volition, its own thoughts and stuff. But they don't do that. They mimic and they parrot. But here there's this animal talking to Eve and it impressed Eve. And then Satan provokes Eve upsets her, gets her to think that God's not being good to her. And that's an amazing thing. Isn't that what the devil does today? I mean, you wake up and it's cloudy, dismal, car won't start, fired from the job, and you say, and the devil goes, God's not being good to you, is he? And you go, yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't believe him. Don't believe him. Because he provoked Eve, and then he lies to her. Look in verse 4. Chapter 3 and verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now that's, listen, if there's one thing that the world is doing today is making God into a liar. You don't say that God is a liar. Well, you know, I, I, I only believe the good parts of the Bible. I, I, some of that Bible is full of errors. No, it's not, or else you've made God a liar. So he lied to Eve. Look in verse 5. For God doth know that in a day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be like him. You'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Now you tell me whether God was lying or not. Chapter 2 and verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, what does he promise? Thou shalt surely die. It's pretty clear. Pretty clear to me. And then Eve, uh, Satan used Eve to manipulate Adam. Remember, who's going who's gonna to bring sin into this world? Satan's got to get Adam to do it. Because Adam's the, he's the protector. He's the one that's in charge of this garden here. And if he falls down on the job, everything's going to fall apart. 
and it's still true today, gentlemen. I'll talk to you about that next week. Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, it didn't look like poison. It was a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Ah, and then gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. See, Satan could not have gotten Adam to disobey God, but he's going to manipulate Eve to get Adam to disobey God. And that's just what he did. He got Eve to convince Adam to live without God's rule. And they decided at that moment to rebel against God's one law, just one simple law, and disobey his command. Adam and Eve started off innocent, and sinless and from that moment became sinful and enemies of God and then judgment fell look in verse 17 jump down to verse 17 and unto Adam he God said because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife it's not the fact that she manipulated you let her manipulate you you let her tell you what you should do you imagine how stupid that is you came home when you were a kid and they asked you and said you know, why, why'd you steal such and such a thing? Well, my friends told me I'd be okay. What do you mean? You let your friends. I remember the first time I stole, still a traumatic incident. I remember, I don't, you know, sweating uh, and, and perspiring and being terrified of going to jail. My friends convinced me to steal a pack of chewing gum. We went into the shop and... They diverted the owners, uh, the business, the, the business guy, and I grabbed it. They put it in my pocket, and then we bolted out of the, the thing, and I'm. <laughs> but it was, I had no idea I was going to do that. I didn't want to, oh, go on, Craig. Come on, Craig. Come on. Come on. You, 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 you. I forget what they said, but they built me up like, you got to do it. You got to do it. Come on, be a man. Do it. Who got me to do it? My dad didn't care. Who told me I was the one that was in trouble? Amen. I was the one that let somebody else convince me to do wrong. So God says to Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Guess what? Cursed is the ground now for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of the ground all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee instead of their crops. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. Whoa. Now he's just been told where he's going. See, before that moment, he was going to live forever. But now you're going back to the ground from whence you came. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, Adam, and unto dust thou shalt return. Judgment has fallen. You'll live a cursed life, and your life will end in death, just as God had warned them. And yet... God showed them grace. I'm going to show you. Look at verse 20. You'd say, what is Adam? How is, how is he feeling? How is he, Adam and Eve? They sense something going on that we're going to have to look at two verses and see. Look at verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, which means trouble, right? Disaster. That's what Eve means, right? That woman, right? No. <laughs> Evil. I didn't say it. <laughs> no. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother not of all dying, but what? Of all living. He has something to look forward to. He's not going to say, I, I, I'm just going to die. No, he says, let's go forward. There's grace in this, in this situation now. Because I'll show you verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God 
take their leaves that they had sown and put on. I mean, what a stupid thing. You imagine how many times you have to change your clothes if you were wearing leaves every day. <laughs> You're wearing last week's style. I mean, <laughs> he took that and he, and he made them coats of skin and clothing. Where do you get skins from? Living animals. We know they were lambs. And in that moment, God showed them great grace and kindness. He should have walked away. He should have abandoned this world to the creatures who did not want them. You ever been somewhere and you knew you weren't wanted? You weren't welcome? What do you do? <laughs> I'm out of here. So why stay there? And I wonder, why does God stay here? Why does he still draw people to himself? Why does he still have churches and preaching when most people don't want him? You ever asked yourself that? Because he's got grace towards us. Grace towards the ungodly. Grace, kindness toward his enemies. God replaced those flimsy leaves with the skins of innocent lambs that he killed in their place to cover their sin. The life of innocent lambs was taken instead of the life of sinful people of Adam and Eve. And you know what they did? They wore the cost of their sin for the rest of their lives. Every time they put on that skin, those animal skins, it reminded them they've got, they got a second chance at life because something died to give them pardon and forgiveness. That is grace. And here's the truth. When sin entered the world by Adam's free will and his choice to disobey God, guess who followed right behind sin? Death. Back to Romans chapter 5. We'll go back to our scripture and get, keep going. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Romans 5, 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, now you got the picture, as by Adam, sin entered the world. He actually let sin in. And death was right behind it by the sin. And so death now is passed upon all men and it's proven by the fact that we've all sinned. You know, I, I have to say this. Sin never helps anybody. Sin never helps anybody. Sin always leads to trouble and ends in death. You've never been benefited by one second of lust. You've never been benefited by telling lies, by stealing, by hating, by drinking, by drugging, by mocking God, you've never been helped by one of those things. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, you don't have to go there, is always death. Look in verse 13. Sin, death always follows wherever sin goes. So every time you're messing around disobeying God, guess what's right behind and could end your life? Uh, when I was a kid, when I was 16 years old, seven, 16 my best friend and I were racing, and we were breaking the speed limit. We were out in a industrial, not industrial estate, a, an estate that hadn't been built yet. And by playing the fool, we turned around a corner and flipped the car three times. Boom, boom, boom. What does what a sin do? We were stupid. We were immature. Um, nobody knew we were out there. We were just playing the fool, and we should have died because the wages of sin is... You don't, listen, you don't mess with sin. You don't mess with drugs. You don't mess with alcohol. You don't mess with stuff without it costing you, amen? And um, uh, look at verse 13. Now, still talking about Adam and Eve, it says, For unto the law, the law of Moses, 
Sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death still reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, what he's describing is, even though the Ten Commandments and the laws of the Old Testament weren't written for Adam, he still was a sinner. He broke only one law, and that ruined his life and all of his children's life. And it says there in verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression in the same manner, who is the figure of him that was to come. So, uh, if this thing will work, even before God gave us his laws, Adam and Eve were now sinners. They had sinned and their innocence was gone. That's why people say, what do these, transvest these transvestites and these transitioning people and the, uh, the, 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 the queers and all this stuff, they don't hurt anybody. They rob children of innocence. Just like we were robbed when those friends came along and showed us pictures. We don't want that on our children or on our grandchildren. We know the defiling that it did to us. And we want to save that innocence a little bit longer, don't we? Amen. And even though, even though, um, uh, people don't know something may be wrong they know they've done wrong there's a guilt there and Adam and Eve in their nature they know that they were defiled by rebelling against God and in the same way we're sinners just as well you know we don't have the temptation to go find a tree and eat its fruit from it but we do have the temptation to do what we know we shouldn't do and we even have the temptation to not do what we know we should do. Every sin we do, whether it's against our conscience or against nature, is sin. Every person on this planet ever born has been selfish, arrogant, proud, rebellious, cruel, impatient, unloving, bigoted, uncaring, lying, stealing, lusting, self-serving, lazy, and covetous at one time or another, haven't we? Remember when you did something, you felt guilty about it, and you didn't know it was right or wrong? You know, I wonder if that was right to say. I don't know if I, I don't think I handled that right. That's your conscience at you, and it's, and, it's, and it's cutting you, and you know, I think I did wrong. Yeah, that's because sin is in us, pulling us away from what we should do, and we end up doing what we shouldn't do. And the truth is, sin always brings death. Go to James. You're in Romans. Go to the right. Find James just after Hebrews. Comes James chapter 1 in verse 14. James chapter 1 and verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own what? It's his own desire. Now, let's be plain. What I'm tempted by may not be what you're tempted by. But believe me, the devil will tempt me by something that I want to do. That is what temptation is. It tailors itself to my own desires. Uh, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed like a fishing lure, has a worm on his squiggly there for the fish. Verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, it's done something in our heart, it brings forth sin and we act on that sin and then sin when it is finished bringeth forth that. Well, it hasn't died yet and they're smoking for the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Well, it will finally kill you. It will. When it is finished with you, it will bring forth that. Isn't that something to think about? Next time the devil lures you down to watch some porn, 
to, 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 to down a path where you're just going to seek vengeance, down a path where you're just going to live in bitterness. You've got to remember, there is a devil who has enticed you into thinking that's the right thing to do, it's the fun thing to do, it's the, it's the thing you need to do, and as you go down there, you've got to remember, it says that in the end, when the devil's finished with you, he will throw you away. He doesn't leave you better off. When it is finished, it bringeth forth death. So the truth is, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 14, it says death, back to Romans 5, reigns now. It's an undeniable fact. When was the last time you went to a funeral and you got ready to bury the, the guy or the girl and they said, ah, I'm okay. <laughs> no, death wins. Death wins, folks. And, and uh, then God did something. Well, let me just stop here. Let me just say something really practical here. Look at the end of verse, five, of verse 14. He says something. Adam, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now, the figure means the shadow or the example of someone that was coming. Adam was the shadow of someone to come. And let me just teach you something here. So Adam's not the only one in the story. Aren't you glad the Bible's not just about Adam and his children and his children's children? Aren't you glad he's the first Adam but there's another one coming, amen? You see, what people forget is that there was, there was another Adam. Look in verse 14 again. The end, it says, uh, Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come? Uh, the, the, the first Adam, we call him Adam. And then we have another guy, the second Adam. We call him Jesus. Do you know both of them are called the sons of God? When Adam was made, his maker was God. He wasn't born of parents. And when Jesus came around, he had no earthly father. It was a virgin birth. It was a special creation. They were both born sinless. But guess what? The first Adam, how did he handle temptation? He failed. He couldn't even obey one law. <laughs> Next time, when you meet somebody who says, you've got to keep the law, you look at him and go, Pfft. <laughs> because yeah good luck with that you should strive to obey the law but you ain't going to keep it you're going to fail and you will fail again and one of the greatest revelations for the person in this room is you are a failure and it's okay it is okay because somebody made up for it see the first Adam failed and should have died and God said I'm going to give you a little example of somebody to come is it's a lamb, and that lamb will die for you, and I won't put my wrath on you. I'll put it on the lamb, and you get a second chance. You get another life. And even though Adam failed, the second Adam, and the first Adam brought sin and death in the world, the second Adam came, and guess what? When he was tempted, he succeeded. He kept all God's laws. He brought righteousness and eternal life into this world by his death. The first Adam, why didn't that come up? No, nope, come back here. The first Adam gave us our first birth, physical and temporary. The second Adam gave us our second birth, which is spiritual and eternal. That's why I look to him to be my Savior, not to Mary, not to Blessed John the Baptist, not to Joseph or to Pope John Paul III. I look to Jesus. Now, chapter 5 and verse, uh, in Romans, chapter 5 and verse 15 going to wrap this up here. Verse 15 comes along, and we have two extreme opposites. 
15, 16, 17, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Now, get this. Um, I hurt somebody. Here's somebody. Let's call them Joe Soap. And Joe Soap here, I lie about him. I, I stab him in the back. I, I ruin his life for a while. I take advantage of him. And in the, he should treat me the same way I've treated him. That's our natural reaction. But if Joe Soap understands anything about grace, and it's hard, you give not in kind, do you? And look what he says there in verse 15. Not as the offense. Whew, let's put God in this place now. Think of all the times you've blasphemed his name. So many times you have mocked him. You have rejected him, rebelled against him, done your own thing, looked at what you wanted, said what you wanted, enjoyed whatever you wanted, knowing it was wrong, doing all that against your family, against your own health, against your, your parents, whatever it is, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense, that's our law breaking, of one, Adam, many be dead. Wow. So much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. These are extreme opposites. Adam's offense, which was sin, is compared to a greater gift, which is righteousness. Instead of making somebody pay for their sin, what does God do? He pays for it. The gift is better than the sin. Do you understand? Normally, somebody parks in Paul Street and they pull out and scrape your car. What do you want? <laughs> Them to pay to repair the car. That's called justice. But when we... Stand before a holy God. There ain't no payment that you can make enough to pay for all the sin we've done. And God says, okay, I'll pay. That's grace. God's judgment came because of one man. And believe me, when I get to heaven, I'm going to hug Jesus for the first thousand years, and then I'm going to go punch Adam. <laughs> I think I'll be in line, amen? One man, stupid Sin And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. You grew up with a, with a drunkard father. You drew, grew up maybe with a bitter mom. Uh, maybe you grew up in divorce. I don't know. I grew up 12 years old, dad saying bye-bye. When, when, when you grew up in that, it affects you. Your father especially affects you. What he does and how he fails and how he handles failure affects us. One man affected all of humanity. You understand what I'm saying? He brought sin into this world. I can't blame him because every time I'm tempted, I also give in. But it's him that opened the door and changed all of us so now we can't ever find freedom except through a Savior. There's just something wonderful. He ruined it. Jesus fixes it. You can take it up with Adam, but you better first take it up with Jesus. God's judgment came because of one man's sin and God's free gift. We read that in chapter 4 and 5 now. Of justification came because of one man giving his life. Look in verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. God didn't give because we earned it. I mean, we earned justice. We earned wrath. But the gift is opposite. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses given to us unto justification instead of unto judgment. I just, what God did is grace. 
Our sins are so many, and God's grace is so much more. Amen? God's gift of forgiveness is greater than all our sin. And you know what's the best thing of all? The reign of death has ended now. At least for those of us who have believed. Look in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace, that's us, and of the gift of righteousness, shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So where death used to always chase me around and was trying to catch me and should have caught me and should have been the end of my life a dozen times before I ever got saved, I'm actually glad I got saved when I was 17 because who knows how many times I would have been more stupid than that and pushed my, my limit and ended up dead and in hell. I'm glad somebody gave me the gospel at 17. And some of you, the fact that you're here today and you've got another chance to be saved is the grace of God because you have no guarantee of tomorrow doing something stupid and sin and, and death catching up with you. But the reign of death for the Christian is over. The reign of eternal life has begun. And it's all because of the righteousness of one man, Jesus our Messiah. Look in verse 18 and 19. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one. I've had people say, well, I know I'm not good enough to get to heaven, but I'll get in the back door. I, I'm, I'm talking, I'll get, Mary will get me in. No, 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 watch your words. Only by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. It's by one man, verse 19, for it's by one man's disobedience, many, so many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That's the gospel, folks. What Jesus did. One man's sin brought judgment upon us all. And one man's righteousness brought free gift of life to all. One man's disobedience made all of us sinners. And one man's perfect obedience can make anybody righteous. You know, uh, I know you've seen somebody, and maybe they were born with a genetic defect. And it's passed on, and the parents are, you know, they, they, they have a child, and they, they ask the doctor, did this come from, from us? Is it our fault that we pass it on to our child? And we take great guilt on that. Let me tell you, there are genetic things that can be passed on. But there's one thing everybody passes down to their children, sin nature. We got it from Adam. And we carry it to the grave, and it's passed on to our children, and we need a Savior. There's not one of us who's righteous. Every person must be born again. Our first birth is flawed. We're following our first Adam. You better believe the second one. Amen. And then this is priceless. This is the best part. Verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might what? All right, now we've been talking about grace, but now we're talking about offenses and sins, that the offense might abound. So now God's brought the Ten Commandments and all the laws of the Old Testament to make sin abound? Ah, but where sin abounded, please circle these words, grace did much more abound. You ever, you ever gotten a, I've gotten them, these little one-for-all cards, and you use it, and then you put it in your pocket or your purse or whatever, and then you bring it and you say, oh, I'm going to use it today, and there's not enough on the card to pay for what you just bought. It wasn't abundant in the card. But no matter how much I sin, 
There's more grace for all of my sin. You don't understand. It's not a license to sin. It's not a permission to sin. It's a covering for sin. And I want you to understand the purpose of your Bible. You see, it was, come on, give me here. It, when it talks about the law, verse 20, it says the law entered. When he talks about, about the written laws of God, um, and Paul explains why God gave those laws. Oh, go back. So that all our offenses would be clearly seen. The problem with people who don't go to church is this. They get more comfortable and comfortable with their sin. Would you agree with me? The problem with coming to church is we get uncomfortable knowing our sins. But that's the purpose of the Bible. That's the purpose of gospel preaching. That's the purpose of real church. Like what we have every week here, every Wednesday, is to do something like this. Some of you ladies know this, but gentlemen, if you ever are fixing chicken or you're fixing burgers and you press those burgers with your hands and then you put them on the grill and then you put them under the water and then you go and you take an apple and you start eating the apple, what you need is an ultraviolet light to show you how much of that meat is still on your hands and how deadly that is. And you see, you would never see all of that potential disease in your body if you didn't have an ultraviolet light showing you just what's on your hand after you've handled meat. Do you understand? Is anybody following me? Some of you ladies know, I try, my husband never listens to me. He goes from bread to raw meat to, to the kids hugging and kissing. Stop it. <laughs> but the Bible comes. You know what the Bible does? It shows us as we really are, doesn't it? You see, we come to church and say, I've been a good boy. And then preacher starts preaching and go, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Amen. Verse 20, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. It might be shown as abundant in us, but where sin abounded, this is the good news. Grace, God's grace, marvelous grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned until death now, even so might grace reign through the righteousness, through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. It's just, we're going to pick this up next week when we go into chapter six. Well, it's actually two weeks because next week's Father's Day and I got a real humdinger. Um, God's laws are not an end. You, you don't read the Bible so that you start doing, 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 and I'm a good boy. No! You do it because it's right to do, but you will fail, and the sin will be there, and it will only get thicker and darker, and it will be more, vi more vile and more defiling and more hurtful until you get it washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Personal won't clean it. Ariel won't do it. What are the other soaps? I don't know. God's laws are not an end. We needed something much more powerful. What is more powerful than all of my sin? Grace. Marvelous grace. His kindness. Let me say this. God has more grace than all the sin that has ever been done in this world. He can cover all sin for all time. Just as death reigned because of sin and defeated every life ever born, grace now reigns through one man's righteousness and gives you a whole new life if you'll want it. If you'll want it. So what's the missing people piece in people's lives? It's not more church. I love church. I wish we had church every day. But it's not that we need more church in order to be more good. No, no, no. We need Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is either you have him or you don't. Without them, you will face 
the righteous wrath of God alone. I want you to get him. John 1.11 says, He, Jesus, came unto his own people, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, just wanted him, let him in. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that just believe on his name. The gospel's for you. It's not for good people. It's not for religious people. It's for sinners, ungodly enemies. If you qualify, you're welcome. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We've gathered here, Father, this, eve this morning just to hear from you and to hear the good news and to discover that it is true. No matter how we look on the outside, no matter how much we try to clean up the stains of our sin, the stain still remains when we see it in the light of your word. And Lord, we're ashamed of it as we should be. And it kind of scares us, God. It scared me. I remember hearing about hell. I remember hearing about an almighty God being all holy. Yes, he loved me, but he's a judge and he has to judge righteous judgment. Father, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in this room, maybe there's somebody who is hoping they'll be good enough to get to heaven. And it's a false hope. They'll never be good enough. They can't wash their hands, wash their thoughts, wash their heart. They can be baptized every day for the rest of their life. They can go to church every day for the rest of their life. They will never wash away that sin that only Jesus Christ and his blood can. So Lord, we just cry out to you, God, please save somebody today. Please help somebody realize that's what I need to do. I need to just trust the one Savior I've been trusting in myself. I've been trusting in Adam. I've been trusting in trying to be good, and I fail. And I'll trust Jesus who never fails. If you make that decision, it'll change your life. It'll change your home and your family. You won't be perfect. You're not going to always be nice, but you'll be different. And oh, when the Lord Jesus is in your life, mm, sin doesn't have the pull like it used to. There's just something about wanting to be holy. There's just something about wanting to do right. And knowing that when we fail, it's okay. There's enough grace to cover that too. So Lord, we just commit this message to this audience now. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab your hymnal. And verse uh, number 253. 253. Coming home. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. 253. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Coming home, coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open wide thine arms of love, Lord, I'm coming home. 
Thank you that we get to do what we always do, which is lift up the Lord Jesus. God, I pray we stay faithful. Pray this church would never become woke or part of the world system. This church wouldn't worry about what the world's doing, but that whether we would just do what you called us to do and love people, give them the gospel, show them Jesus Christ, we will fail. Lord, if we would just remind people you're there, if we'd prove it by our changed lives, this world could be turned upside down again. It doesn't take huge mega churches. It just takes the ones that are faithful. So Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to dedicate this next year, our 30th year as a church, to just being faithful, just not just coming to church, but going out into the world with a gospel tract praying for our enemies, praying for people who've hurt us, praying for those people we know have hurt you and turned their back on you and rejected you and mocked you and loving them anyway. And then loving those who have, among ourselves, who have fallen and been hurt by the world and restoring them and caring for them and never, ever living above anybody but just looking unto Jesus and worshiping him carrying people who are hurt to his foot and letting your son heal them on the inside all the way. So Lord, I pray that you bless as we go to the dinner and the fellowship and the fun that we're about to have. We thank you for our church. Bless as we just enjoy the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm